Chapter Seventeen of Molly Brown's Senior Days by Nell Speed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Christmas Eve Misunderstanding. The old queen's crowd rallied around the exiled Judy, even as Molly had predicted, and Judy was prostrated with gratitude. Nothing could have stirred her so deeply as this devotion of her friends i feel like elijah being fed by the ravens in the wilderness only you are bringing me crumbs of learning she exclaimed to molly who had taken her turn in coaching judy i hope you don't mind being called ravens she added apologetically not at all laughed molly I'd rather be called a raven than a catbird or a pole parrot or an English sparrow. But Judy was already deep in her paper. Being a recluse from the world, her life consecrated to study, she was playing the part to perfection. If Adele Windsor knew that Judy was in the village, she gave no sign, and so the exile in her old room at O'Reilly's overlooking the garden, had nothing to do but bury herself in her neglected textbooks. Indeed, very few of the girls knew where Judy was. When she went out for her walks after dusk, she wore a heavy veil and thoroughly enjoyed the disguise. One night the old crowd gave her a surprise party, which Edith had carefully planned. Dressed in absurd piratical costumes with skirts draped over one shoulder in the semblance of capes, bright sashes around their waists, many varieties of slouch hats and heavy black mustaches, they stormed Judy's room in a body. Hist, said Edith, the captive maiden. We must release her ere sunrise. Then they trooped in danced a wild fandango which made judy envious that she herself was not in it and finally opened up refreshments so it was that judy's exile was happy enough and when christmas holidays approached she had made up most of her lost work and was ready for molly's careful coaching thus it is that heaven protects some of the foolish ones of this earth judy wrote to her mother and father that she was behind in her classes and would remain to study with molly brown and that mr and mrs keen were at this time in colorado they thought it a wise decision on the part of their daughter molly had grown to love the christmas holidays at college it was a perfect time of peace after the excitement and hurry of her life a time when she could steal into the big library and read the hours away without being disturbed or scribble things on a paper that she would like to expand into something some day when her diffidence should leave her today curled up in one of the big window seats Molly was thinking of a curious thing that had happened that morning at O'Reilly's. She had gone in to say goodbye to Judith Blunt and Madeline Petit, who were leaving for New York by the noon train. 
i suppose you'll be visiting all the tea-rooms in town for new ideas molly had said pleasantly yes indeed said madeline i never leave a stone unturned and everything's grist that comes to my mill this fall i got six new ideas for sandwiches and the idea for a kind of bun that ought to be popular if only because of the name i haven't the recipe but i think i can experiment with it until i get it what's the name molly asked idly never thinking of what a train of consequences that name involved snaky noodles isn't it great can't you see it on a little menu and people ordering out of curiosity and then ordering more because they're so good snaky noodles molly repeated in surprise that's the name isn't it judith asked madeline oh yes i remember it because the bun is formed of twisted dough like a snake coiled up it's very strange said molly what's strange why that name snaky noodle you see it's a kind of family name with us our old cook has been making them for years i really thought she had originated it but i suppose other colored people know it too where did you have one at a spread oh weeks and weeks ago but where insisted molly i have a real curiosity to know was it a southern spread far from it said madeline yankee is yankee one of the girls in brentley house gave the spread but she didn't provide the snaky noodles put in judith what's that girl's name who talks through her nose miss windsor oh coming to think of it i believe she said they had been sent to her from an aunt in the south went on madeline so you see molly nobody has been poaching on your preserves molly only smiled rather vaguely she would have liked to ask a dozen more questions but kept silent and presently after shaking hands with the two inseparable friends she went up to the library to think somehow molly was not surprised nothing that adele windsor could do surprised her the surprising part was how she avoided being called out it was just like her to have planned the theft of the senior ramble lunch there was something really diabolical in her notions of amusement and now what was to be done should she tell the other girls after the holidays or should she wait it was all weeks off and molly decided to let the secret rest in her own mind safely even if she told it would be hard to prove the accusation at this late day but perhaps and here molly's thoughts broke off i detest all this meanness and trickery she thought i don't blame miss walker for wanting to clean it out of the school anyway she added smiling if that girl bothers judy any more i intend to pronounce the mystic name of snaky noodles over her head like a curse 
and see what happens. That afternoon Molly packed a suitcase full of clothes and lugged it down to Mrs. O'Reilly's, where she had consented to spend Christmas with Judy instead of in her own pretty quadrangle apartment. Secretly Molly would much rather have stayed in number five, where she could have rested and read poetry as much as she liked. But she was rarely known to consult her own comfort when her friends asked her to do them a favor, and, after all, if she were going to put Judy through a course of study, she had better be on the spot to see that the irresponsible young person stuck to her books. So the two girls established themselves in the pleasant fire-lit room overlooking the garden, Judy had brought down two framed photographs of her favorite pictures and a big brass jar by way of ornament, and on Christmas Eve the girls went out to buy holly and red swamp berries. They were walking along the crowded sidewalk arm in arm, recalling how last year they had done exactly the same thing when they came unexpectedly face to face with Mr. James Lufton. Well, if this isn't good luck, he exclaimed. Nobody at the quadrangle seemed to know where you were. He included both girls, but he really meant Molly. And what are you doing here? asked Molly, giving him her hand after he had shaken Judy's hand. Annie McLean asked me down for Christmas, he said. He failed to mention that he had pawned his watch, a set of Balzac and two silver trophies, one at an athletic club, and furthermore had given out at the office that he was down with gripe in order to accept the invitation. Andy's up the street now looking for you. He thought perhaps Mrs. Murphy might know where you were. What did he want with us? asked Judy, lifting her morning veil. Jimmy hesitated. He was thinking of getting up a Christmas dance, but he looked at Judy's black dress. She's not in mourning, Mr. Lufton laughed Molly. It's only that she prefers to look like a mourning widow lady. Oh, excuse me, Miss Keene, said Jimmy. I thought you had a recent bereavement. Here, Judy, take off that thing, exclaimed Molly, unpinning the morning veil in the back and snatching it off Judy's glowing face. Molly, how can you invade on the privacy of my grief? exclaimed Judy, laughing. Why, it's Miss Judy Keene, exclaimed Dodo Green, coming up at that moment with Andy McLean. Nothing has hap no, put in Molly. It's only one of Judy's absurd notions. She's been wearing mourning for years off and on, but she's only lately gone into such heavy black. And you've no objection to a little fun then? asked Andy. Not a particle, answered Judy, the old bright look lighting her face. My feelings aren't black, I assure you. On with the dance, then, 
let joy be unconfined cried andy we'll call for you at a quarter of eight girls at o'reilly's you say i'll have to trot along now and tell the matter the three boys hurried off while molly and judy rushed home to look over their party clothes isn't life a pleasant thing after all exclaimed judy and molly readily agreed that it was such a jolly impromptu christmas eve party as it was that night at the mclean's mrs mclean had a niece visiting her from scotland an interesting girl with snappy brown eyes and straight dark hair she was rather strangely dressed molly thought in a red merino with a high white linen collar and a black satin tie and she looked at molly and judy in their pretty evening gowns with evident disapproval just as jimmy lufton and molly had completed the glide waltz for the fifth time that evening and had sunk down on a sofa breathless the parlor door opened and in walked professor edwin green looking as well as he ever looked in his life with a fine glow of color in his cheeks my dear professor cried mrs mclean ed i thought you were going to spend christmas in the south exclaimed his brother you are a disobedient young man ejaculated the doctor all in one course don't scold the returned wanderer said the professor glancing about the room swiftly until he caught molly's eye and then smiling and nodding is dangerous for convalescence to be bored and realizing that christmas in the tropics might bring on a relapse i decided to lose no time in getting back home and glad we are to see you lad said the doctor seizing his hand and shaking it warmly you did quite right to come back before the ennui got in its work it's worse than the fever molly left jimmy lufton's side to shake hands with the professor and then the professor remembered the young newspaper man and greeted him cordially and after that all the company went back into the dining room for hot chocolate and sandwiches and here it was that all the mischief started which came very near to breaking up the great friendship that existed between molly and the professor it was simply that the professor overheard scraps of information that jimmy was pouring into molly's ready ear while she listened with glowing cheeks and a gay smile to what he had to say oh you'll enjoy new york all right miss brown and the newspaper work won't be as hard as what you are doing now i fancy i'm sure they'd take you on if you only for your he paused you'll have only to ask and i'll put in a good word too he added you can never understand what a good time you'll have until you get there theaters until you have had enough and the opera too i often get tickets through our critic 
the grand opera repeated molly yes anything you like longren ada la bohème sooner or later you will see them all then there are the restaurants such jolly places to get little dinners and you are so independent you are too busy to be lonesome and you can come and go as you like nobody to boss you except the editor of course and you'll soon catch on you have a natural knack for writing i could tell that by your letters molly listening to the voice of the tempter saw a picture of new york as one might see a picture of a carnival all lights and fun and good times but i want to work too more than anything else she said suddenly oh you'll have plenty to do laughed the careless jimmy who took life about as seriously as a hummingbird after supper the professor drew molly away from the crowd of young people and led her to a sofa in the hall i want to talk to you he said in a tone of authority that a teacher might use to a pupil i could not help overhearing what your newspaper friend was saying to you at supper and i wish you would take my advice and not listen to a word he says he is just a young fool the professor was quite red in the face and molly also flushed and her eyes darkened with anger i don't agree with you about that she said is it possible you are going to put all this hard studying you have been doing for the last three and a half years into writing news items for a yellow journal i'm disgusted but i only expected to start there began molly and is that young idiot trying to persuade you that the sort of life he described a wild carnival life of dissipation and restaurant dinners is the right life for you i tell you he's mistaken i should like to to molly's face was burning now i i i don't think it's any of your business she burst out at this astonishing speech the professor came to himself with a start i beg your pardon miss brown he said i realize now that i entirely overstepped the mark good evening miss brown shall we have the last dance together called jimmy lufton down the hall and presently poor molly whirling in the waltz wondered why her temples throbbed so and her throat ached end of chapter seventeen recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c